As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and the Armchair Media Network, special edition 2021 season preview episode. With opening day kickoff just a few days away, and the depth chart hot off the presses, Matt and Matt are officially back on air to get you hyped up for year two of the Halfley era. Featuring an electric stable of wideouts, multiple Heisman caliber quarterbacks under center, and a defense eager to prove they belong. The Maroon and Gold have found themselves in the rare position as an ACC dark horse and potential challenger to dethrone Clemson. On today's episode, we'll run through the position groups, hit on a few key storylines coming out of the Fish Fieldhouse, preview the Raiders of Colgate, and break down why 2021 could be a season to remember. Matt, football season is here once again, finally, and I don't think I could possibly be more excited. Like you said, we'll be breaking everything down in short order, but just a quick spoiler alert, like if you don't want to listen to the next hour or 90 minutes, this is going to be one of the best Boston College teams that anyone has ever had the pleasure of rooting for every single Saturday. Uh, Matt, my, my glass is a little more than than half full, if you know what I mean. <laughs> good one, Matt. So uh, thanks. Uh, so two quick things before we get into it. First, a quick word from our good friends at Spotify and the Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Let's talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and come ready to go with your spiciest takes, Spotify Green Room. All right. And second thing, Matt, we've got a little call to action for all the fourth and dudes out there. Matt, we are in dire, dire need of an intern slash producer by the time uh, next season starts. My previous role prior to business school afforded me the free time to be able to 
going to spend a couple hours editing this podcast uh, each week, but that will not be the case about a year from now. So all of this to say, if you or anyone you know has even a, a third grade understanding of GarageBand, Audacity, et cetera, and has like two hours a week to spare during football season, hit us up or, you know, I don't want to say it, Matt, but this might be the, the fourth and fourth and dude last dance if we don't you know, get some some hands on deck by next season. So we can't pay, Matt, unless that's changed. I don't think I don't think well, we can pay. We can give you a, a little bit of equity, a percentage of the profits. Yeah, um, it's not a lot. We do this for the love yep. of the game. Um, yep. But seriously, hit us up. I know a couple of you guys have reached out previously, so I don't know if we want to do interviews or something. But if you have any, any type of uh, you know technological capabilities, you know, feel free to reach out. Us doing interviews would be absurd. It would just be like in Step Brothers. It would just yeah, be exactly. And Matt, while we're on the the subject, actually, a lot has changed since the last time we spoke. Uh, you're now listening to two uh, married men speaking. There was only one of us married before, and now you've got a, a second one uh, married. So, congrats to to Matt and his uh, and his wife. So, exciting news all around here. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. We had a nice little time uh, a few weeks ago, um, and Should it is it's the it's the fourth and dude team doctor. So, uh, we'll continue yep. to have her available to you know consult on, on medical issues as they come up. Um, on and off the field, I would say. Yeah, it's just good to have that insight. That's exactly right. And one last note, you know, we, we've just been a crazy summer for both of us and, you know, between work and weddings and everything else. So we haven't really been around other, I, you know, since on the, on the podcast or on Twitter, really. Last time we recorded was actually with, with our buddy Jeff Goodman. Um, we all know how that ended. So, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to be back. It's going to be a heck of a year. And we are, uh, you know, officially ready. The boys are back in town, as they say. The boys are, are absolutely back. Matt, and again, you know, since the last time we spoke, a lot has changed in the in the BC specific world. A lot of different storylines and, and subplots to watch. You mentioned some of the, the insights coming out of Fish Fieldhouse. Anything you want to start with over, you know, what might have occurred in the last, I don't know, four to six months? All right. Probably the best place to start is, uh, you know, fr- from a macro standpoint, COVID is still very much with us, unfortunately. We're not quite out of the woods with the emergence of the Delta variant. We saw a couple stories over the past couple of weeks. Uh, for example, new Auburn coach Brian Harson, he tested positive a couple of weeks ago. The ACC did come out with a pretty strong stance on folks getting vaccinated, basically saying that, you know, first off, only non-vaccinated athletes would require testing. Um, and number two, any teams that couldn't field the team due to COVID would forfeit compared to all the rescheduling shenanigans we saw last season. That's not happening this time around. So, you know, from a BC perspective, obviously Haft did such a great job with it last year. It was kind of the gold standard in college football. So um, we do have 100% vaccination rate. Really not a concern whatsoever, you know, on, on the BC side of things. But, you know, hopefully this doesn't become uh, too much of a storyline anytime soon. Yeah. And I think the only, you know, the only thing I would I would note is we talked about it, this a lot last year. But, you know, how much the team and the staff really bought in, you know, back when there you know, weren't vaccines and just kind of the general uh, everyone, you know, really taking it seriously and not going out, not breaking the bubble, whatever. And I think you really saw that was rare across the college football landscape. And one thing that showed, I think, to all of us was, was you know, kind of the, the amount of buy-in that the players and the staff, you know, were, were, were really giving in to this Halfley regime. I think that, you know, you saw it a lot of other schools where maybe some coaches, you know, were, were on the rocks or didn't really have great relationships with their players. And that's where these these issues were happening. So I think, you know, BC being on the forefront of getting everyone vaccinated and, and uh, you know, again, I think there was one player at Media Day, Halfley said, who, who didn't want to. And he basically said, all right, well, we're going to you know find you a transfer partner immediately. And I think that's just another example of everyone buying into the culture that that Halfley is creating. And, you know, we, we knew what of a, a, a what a strain it was on the players and, and their families last year and the coaches and their families last year. So, you know, to, to hopefully now have that, at least, you know, for the most part in the rearview mirror, 
we're able to have you know, the, the parents and the families of these players in the stands this year. We're able to have students in the stands this year. I think it's going to be, you know, such a breath of fresh air and, and you know, a continuation of the phenomenal culture that uh, Coach Halfley has already been able to put in place in, you know, just the 12 months that he's that he's been here. Yeah, and BC announced last week that they were going to require, you know, fans to show, you know, proof of vaccination pretty much. And that, you know, children under 12 would have to wear a mask in the stadium. And, and that's met with the usual, you know, mixed reaction. Let's be clear, by the way. I think the reaction is, is, is especially with the BC fan base, 99.999%. Everyone just like either doesn't care or is like, that makes sense and that's good. There was the one post. And again, I love our guys at 24-7. <laughs> they shut this down immediately. There was a post on, on Message Board 24-7, some nut job coming out and saying like, this is the end of the Boston College football program as right. we know it. Uh, because we are mandating vaccines, we are never going to, you know, retain halfway, retain talent. So it's good to see that, you know, I think we, we always just look at the LSUs and the Ole Miss and, and all the SEC programs as like all the wackos. It's it's nice to know in a weird way that we have our own nut jobs uh, here as well. And we're not just, you know, the, the coastal elites that I think the rest of the conference always likes to paint us as. Right. A hundred percent. And I think BC is one of the leaders when it comes to you know being proactive. And, um, you know, that's one big storyline. Where do you want to go next? Conference realignment? Yeah, I think we have to talk about about conference realignment. I'd like to get your thoughts. I've got a couple of things I just want to kick it off with. The first, and I know you can agree with this, is that Paul Feinbaum, Matt, can eat a bag of, of you know what. It's a family show, so I won't say what he actually should eat. But he's been, you know, really rallying the cry about how the three conference alliance, which again is the, you know, ACC, Big Ten and, and Pac-12 alliance, is the death of college football. All the while, you know, his conference that he came from, that he covers, the SEC, really started this whole thing. And, and his network, ESPN, is single-handedly the biggest powder keg in, in this entire mess. I mean, they're basically the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, if you will, uh, of conference realignment. They've you know created a monster with how big the money has gotten. And, and now with this new move of poaching Texas and Oklahoma, which you know ESPN clearly had a hand in as well, like what would anybody expect other teams to do? Uh, you don't really have a choice just to kind of sit on your hands and, and sit back and you know hope that you're going to have a seat at the table when the next round of major realignment uh, you know, comes to pass. So, you know, to, to rail against this type of deal, to be anti this type of deal, when again, two of the three conferences in this alliance are non ESPN affi- affiliated, you know, to me just feels, you know, transparent, dishonest, and, and frankly, disgusting. So uh, I know you're, you're a Paul Feinbaum hater as well. And I'm sure that that got you a bit fired up, uh, a bit fired up also. Yeah, he's the worst. And, and to me, the alliance really, it's sort of a non event at this point, right? I mean, they basically they built up this announcement and said more details are, 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 are going to be announced, you know, later this week type of thing, and then nothing came out, right? It was it was basically ah, oh, there's nothing even papered on it. It's just the 42 teams in each of the conferences basically aren't going to poach each other, and that to me is that's great. I mean, that's fine. The last thing I would want is for BC to somehow get shut out of you know any type of restructuring of the conferences. Um, not that I expect that to happen, although with our basketball team, you know, <laughs> there's a couple yeah. of weak points that you could point to, and if they were trying to build, they uh, you know, number two super conference to to oppose the SEC. You know, BC probably doesn't get in there necessarily. That said, Boston's a huge market, so I, you know, hopefully we'll always have a home type of thing. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's just business as usual. And you know, I, I think all this off season talk, if anything else, I'm just I'm ready to, to you know get get foot on leather and just just ready to start playing some football at this point. Yeah, I mean, but and you're absolutely right. Like there is nothing in place. This is a this is a handshake agreement in some you know power conference back room. You know, no contracts, long term agreements, which. 
there's probably a variety of reasons, and, and maybe we could discuss it better in the courtroom, whether it's NIL or just the, the media rights. Yeah. Antitrust is a big one, too. I mean, that's why yep. they backed off a little bit, right? Which I think that's a legitimate concern. I mean, you, you, can't, be, uh, you can't be monopolizing or making decisions that would monopolize whatever's left of the NCAA type of thing. So I think that was the biggest driver, it seemed like. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then the last point I have on this, Matt, and I, I know you'll agree, I, I've just been thrilled over the last couple of weeks that alliance, the word alliance, is back in, in American lexicon and, and on the forefront of people's minds. Uh-oh. Here we go. As many of you know, you know uh. there, there is a season that's about to start you know, in a week or two. It's you know, very near and dear to my heart and really to the, to the heart of the American public. And it's you know, led by an alpha male uh, named Jeff. And, and Matt, you guessed it, but Survivor is back on CBS next month. <laughs> Season 41, I know a lot of Americans use their 24-7 membership, which comes with full access to Paramount Plus to binge what I and many people consider the single best show in American TV history ever. Uh, they binge that over the course of the pandemic. There is still time to catch up on the first 40 seasons if you haven't yet. Matt, I you think have 10 more seconds. Math, you have 10 well, more seconds. Well, by my math, you would need to do like two seasons a day over the next month. But Matt, I'm just so excited and thrilled that this Alliance talk has given me and, and really the country an ample opportunity to, to think about the greatest show ever created. So thank you for indulging me. And again, cannot recommend it enough to, uh, to really, you know, just sports fans and entertainment fans in general. Yeah, shout out to uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, which I think was what season two, which was when I think everyone two, stopped. Yep. Everyone stopped watching except for Matt. Wrong, but okay. All right, and well, yep. and, and there was a BC thirteen person on season thirty nine. There you go. We know her. So, shout out. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, one more storyline on my list here. Just wanted to mention name, image, and likeness. Obviously, it's uh, you know been dominating a lot of the off season. What is this thing going to look like? I've been following it closely more out of curiosity than anything else. And, you know, you've seen it. I think it went live July 1st, in and around July 1st. And, you know, you're seeing some of the big guys getting paid. I saw DJ uh, Uyunga Gale. Jeez, that's going to be tough that to say wrong. all season. That feels huh? wrong. Yeah. DJ, <laughs> DJ U uh, from Clemson on, on one of those Dr. Pepper commercials. So it's uh, that was kind of wild. From a BC perspective, I, I've heard a couple things. I think Jerk and uh, Jalen Gill. Signed some type of deal with some gaming company, so that's cool. Christian Mahogany, I, I saw he branded his CM seventy three, so you know he's selling you know t shirts and, and whatever. He's got to get a, so. lum- a lumber deal, like just would would write itself there. No lumber lumber liquidators, they're a big Red Sox sponsor. I gotta feel like that's coming. I, I really do. Yeah, uh, between him and sense. him and Pine, right? Lay the wood. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, so we'll, we'll be on the lookout. I mean, we should we should talk offline about this. But, you know, depending, I don't know what the price point's going to be for like a Marcus Valdez. But, you know, me, that's someone I'd love to have the certified public yep. accountant um, as a fourth and dude sponsor. So uh, storyline to watch there. Again, like our interns, we can't pay financially. We can pay in koozies, though. And there is a dollar value to the koozie. I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. there's a number there. Keep an eye out on koozies, by the way. We're, we're, we're cooking some stuff up in the back room and, and should have some news there. Matt, that's that's all I had in terms of off-season storylines, at least the big ones that we want to cover. Obviously, a lot has happened, and a lot will be covered in the positional breakouts. I do want to get to some kind of cleanup topics, though, in Eagles in the Wild. Again, our our recap of uh, former BC athletes and, and kind of where they are in their professional career. Anything you want to get to before we head to the Wild? No, I, I got two Eagles in the Wild ready. Why don't you kick it off, though? All right, so I want to start on the hardwood. Two stories on the hardwood. First is our guy, Jared Dudley. Uh, announced last week that he is officially hanging up the sneakers and joining the coaching ranks. He's taking an assistant role on Jason Kidd's staff in Dallas. He's talked for a, a long time now about coaching being in his future, and and you know I think the way his coaches, teammates, LeBron, you know talk about him, it, it's it's such a natural fit. 
I know we haven't had a chance here to discuss the the Earl Grant hire, but hopefully once Earl builds this program back from the dead, he'll get poached by like Duke or some other high major in like five years. He'll then pass it off to Jared, who at that point will be ready to be a, a college head coach. He'll be our coach for life and the national championships will, will follow. So that's the goal there. Just couldn't be happier for, for a great Eagle alum. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for uh, for Duds to get his education. Jason Kidd is, is, I think, a good coach. I know he's bounced around a couple of times, but um, I think he's won a lot of ball games. So, you know, it'd be great to learn from that. And yeah, it's just at this point, you know, sort of, uh, you know, get getting some training that he can then apply in a few years for BC and then become the Jerry York equivalent for that basketball program for the next 40 years. Yeah, that's the goal. And then, and then keeping it on the hardwood as well. Uh, our good friend of the program, Reggie Jackson, Got absolutely paid once again. He was one of the breakout stars. I don't know if breakout's the right word because he obviously was you know highly paid before, but he was one of the, the stars of, of the NBA playoffs. Uh, you know, legitimately on that on that uh, Clippers team, I think had a you know had they continued to advance, like had a, had a real shot at at being one of the critical two three players on a on a championship team. Um, so he just copped another twenty two million dollar deal. So you know that's now basically again you know his his rate or his quote so to speak. So as long as he keeps playing, he's just going to keep getting another you know twenty two mil pretty much every year or every other year it seems like this. So uh, that's just kind of the going deal that that he signed up for. So that's that's great to see. You saw what happened when he wasn't on a shitty team, right? Like he finally yeah. was on. He had some pieces around him. He didn't have to you know force everything. It's so great that he's finally you know being recognized for the talent that he is. It's it's late in his career to be doing you know sort of finding this role but now that he's found it you know he's gonna have a home for a while that's great to see too yeah absolutely and, and then on top of that Matt I do just have a, a I want to hit on some of the Eagles in NFL camps quickly so Packers have just become BC North obviously we already had AJ becoming a star up there seems to become like this huge Wisconsin fan favorite during it during his time especially over kind of living up there during during quarantine and all that and now you've got Ike and McStuffie up there as well uh, Matt, I do want to give you this opportunity. I talked about Survivor. I want to give you this opportunity to give your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers as Jeopardy host. Yeah, I thought, you know, it's unpopular opinion. I actually really liked Aaron as the host. I know he's an unlikable guy and he hates his family. His family hates him. Yep. I didn't hate him as the Jeopardy host, which is probably a controversial take. I'm just, I'm a Ken Jennings guy. So if I had to, and I'm a, I'm a Jeopardy diehard, Ken Jennings obviously went on that multi-year run, it seemed like, um, where he just ripped off a billion wins in a row. He's just an electric personality. Um, so Ken Jennings is my first choice. My second choice, I, I thought Watson was great. Remember the computer? Yeah, Watson probably was my genius. second choice. Number you got three, everything right. Maybe Watson's third. LeVar Burton would be great too, the reading yep. Rambo guy. So that's probably my big three there. And then Aaron's probably in the four ranch. Okay. I'm personally more of a not as a host, just as a contestant, more of a James Holtzauer guy myself, but mm-hmm. that's just that's just me. You would be. And then Matt, also also in camp, you got Hunter Long who looked like a season ending injury like two weeks ago, and then you know, ten days later he was out there catching passes for the for the Dolphins. Get this, Matt. He rebuilt his leg like it was a MacBook Pro. So you love to see that. Speaking of Watson, there you go. Yep, exactly. And then uh, our good friend Tommy Twelve Inch, Tommy Sweeney, officially back on the field in Buffalo after missing last year due to COVID-related myocarditis. Love that guy. I think he can be a fan favorite in Buffalo. And then this is not an NFL camp, but it just needs to be talked about. Matt Chris Heron Jr. is now a wide receiver at Alabama. I don't have anything to add here. And again, those who who might not remember Chris Heron Jr., son of Chris Heron, former BC basketball player. And now he is playing for Nick Saban. I, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't know. This feels yeah. like a nonsensical tweet we'd, we'd make up after like 13 Bud Lights. I'm, I'm checking that right now. And wow, it is true because I could have sworn I just yep. dreamed that and haven't really yep. thought about it since. But no, he is actually a wide receiver 
I don't think he'll be starting. I should double check the depth chart though, because who knows? How did this happen? Yeah, it's probably out. How probably does, came out because it feels like it kind of feels like Garland Owens uh, when he went to yep. the University of Maryland all over again, but a little bit different because Garland was an athlete. Heronin, I guess, is an athlete, but I don't know. He's six three. I guess he didn't. He never looked it on the court, but he's six three. That's a red zone target, I guess. Um, so yeah, I guess that'll be a SEC storyline we'll be watching. Yeah, I, again, like I said, I literally can't add anything there. So I, I'd like to hear what you have for your, for your Eagles because I, I need to. Stop thinking about what, that one. What a world. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned McStuffie. Uh, I just want to mention Sax Richardson, too. Both guys absolutely lit it up. We're recording on Monday night. Uh, both guys had an absolutely electric Sunday. Racked up a ton of tackles, I think 10-plus each in their respective games. So, you know, really picking up where they left off, continu- continuing to wreak havoc uh, on offenses. So, you know, hoping to see at least one of those guys you know, make one of those teams. And then one other thing for me is Anthony Brown. Friday, officially named QB1 in Eugene. So he'll get a big-time opportunity to lead the Oregon Ducks, who are a national contender. And it's great for a couple reasons. I mean, one, it's just great to – it's great for Anthony, and he's – we always love Tony Touchdowns. It's great to have a Pac-12 squad to root for. It makes watching Pac-12 after dark a little more interesting, having having a rooting interest in those uh, in those 1 a.m. games. And, um, and I'll say this, too. He, he was sort of in spot duty last year. I think the other QB went down, and um, – Right. Maybe they had a couple packages for him. I think it was he was kind of used like a Tyrod Taylor back in the Virginia Tech days almost. And he just every time he got the ball, he just he scored a touchdown. And he re- it was doing it with his legs. It reminds me of you know the Matt Christopher book, the uh, the kid who only hit homers. They, it yeah, was, it was right, like of that was AB last year. It was the yeah. Tony the, to- the Tony that only scored touchdowns. Yep, that's why they call him that. No, and 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 again, I think that. Again, could not be happier for him. This worked out perfectly and really worked out well for, for both sides because obviously we're thrilled that we have Jerko here now. I do just want to use this as a reminder to tell people just how stupid they were, you know, two, three years ago when people were, were ragging on him and saying that he was not our, you know, not the guy who was going to lead this team, not a good quarterback, et cetera. Uh, when he is, I guess, losing to us in the championship, you'll still feel, you know, pretty stupid um, this year. So he's going to have an awesome year. Great point about the Pac-12 after dark. I completely did not even think about that, but now there actually is something there beyond just trying to chase whatever we've lost over the uh, over the course of the previous six days. Yeah, hundred percent. There's so many times that it's like, and, and Oregon usually is in a prime time slot, so we'll see how much it actually. But it's usually like Oregon State versus Arizona, and it's like Arizona, it's, it's always Arizona the worst State, games. those big ones. Yeah, exactly. But now we can like, all right, well, how does this game affect Oregon, and, and, and you know all that. So, so that's exciting. And we got, and we also we have UCLA. We have our friend Martin Jarman. I don't know how much I'm rooting for him necessarily. I'm rooting for him personally. I don't know if I'm rooting for UCLA because of him, but there's an angle there if you wanted to find one. Uh, I took Hawaii in the game on uh, okay. on Saturday, which was ill advised. Did it go so, so well? Yeah, I'm a it little, did not go so well. I'm a little mad at, at Martin at this point. Uh, speaking yep, of fair. Matt, and I know we got to get into the position group breakdown, but tough Saturday for for your for your boy Matt. I did get the yep. UConn game because that was like the easiest bet in history that they were always going to lose by a hundred. But other than that, I, I pretty much went over. Really, really bad beat on the uh, Nebraska Illinois game. Over under was fifty two and a half. Obviously, you're not going to take the under in the opener. And the uh, for those that saw the missed extra point that kept the total at 52 that would have got to 53 um, was a bit of a dagger so that's okay it's week zero it doesn't really count we'll uh, we'll get back on the horse for week one could be a great slate of games starting Thursday all through you know uh, Labor Day weekend so just really really yeah. can't wait that football's back it's been such a long summer um, and we, we we deserve this I'll just I'll say that 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I've got you know three or four days now to kind of figure out my momentum. I was up at Saratoga this past weekend for the Travers and, and Friday and Sunday as well. Had an okay day on the back half of Saturday afternoon. And I mean, essential quality was free money and he went off at one to two. But if you bet big enough, there's still a you know 50% return there is nice. But pretty much every single other race over the course of the three days got absolutely cleaned out. So hoping that's now in the rearview mirror and we can start fresh on Saturday. I think betting on college football is, is frankly a little bit easier than, than betting on, on horses sometimes. That's at least what I'm going to tell myself after it just can't get any worse than, than what it was over the over the previous three days. That's right. All right. Well, I think that was uh, pretty good housekeeping. Um, now we're going to get into the reason y'all are here. For those that saw the depth chart get published this afternoon, there's a lot to break down. There's a, So we're just going to go through it live as we speak. Uh, I'll start with the offense. I'll run through the quarterbacks, and we'll just go back and forth here. Um, you guys all know, you know, when you talk about the the quarterback position, you really got to start with the guy that came out of nowhere last year, set all sorts of records, and that is Dennis Grissel, the current holder of the most passing yards in a game in BC history. And, you know, it's just such a great quarterback room that we have this year. I'm kind of kidding. Obviously, the hype train has really taken off for, for Phil Djokovic. Um, he's, he's QB1 officially based on the depth chart that came out earlier this afternoon. But, you know, everyone's hyping this guy up. Ever since Pete Thamel's article came out, I think it was last month, you know, about how, how you know, what NFL scouts just drooling over this guy. And we all saw it last year firsthand. Threw for, you know, 2,500 yards last year, which set a record for Boston College quarterback in the first 10 starts. Uh, fought through injuries. He did cool off a little bit in the second half of the season, but he was playing through that separated so- shoulder. So, you know, one of the main storylines this year is how much better can he get, you know, both both with rehabbing that injury as well as having a full off season, you know, with the playbook under Frank Signetti. But going back to Denny, I really do think that, you know, we have the best QB room in the country, both on the field and off. And, you know, God forbid something does happen to Phil or if he needs to go out for a series or two, we are in good hands with Denny. Um, so really excited about the quarterback position. Feel as good about the quarterback position as I have since the the days of Matty Ryan, which is pretty high praise there, Matt. Yeah, and I think that's going to be kind of a theme that we see, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is, is feeling as good, if not better, than, than you know, all the way back through 07. Um, but you hit on it there, Matt, and, and I think this is going to be a, a common thread throughout these breakdowns. But the bottom line this year, to me, is, is depth. And it just seems like we are significantly deeper and able to afford injuries, which is obviously something that you're you're never hoping happens, but it's the reality of this game. We have an ability, I think, to afford injuries at at some key position groups that I don't think we really had in previous years. You know, just kind of looking up and down the list, I think the one area that you know we're, we're most vulnerable, as we'll talk about, it, is is DL. But everything else, from you know, including quarterback, and and again, I think that there's obviously a, a, a significant drop from Jericho to Grossell, but Grossell can still win his ball games. There is, there is, Matt. I'm going to be the we voice. We don't have time. Here. We don't have time to debate this right now. Maybe we don't. We do though. not. We we do not. Um, but I, I think that you know, you look at. The wide receivers, as we'll get into, and even the offensive line, as, as strong as they're, you know, they're going to be this year, there are some young guys behind them that can push. So overall, having this depth in the back pocket, you know, as we get into it, I think just makes all of us feel a lot more confident about the positivity we're bringing here rather than saying, all right, if everything goes well, we're going to be a good team. Now it's, you know, we can afford a, a, a misstep here and there and, and certainly don't hope for it. But I think that just the the confidence is is there to, again, just, just kind of really create something special this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all saw if, if you're going to, you know, criticize Jericho for one thing, it's probably that he holds on to the ball too long. 
But that's also one of his, uh, you know, greatest assets in my mind too is, you know, he really does wait till his, he's fearless in the pocket. He's really evasive when it comes to avoiding pressure and he waits for his guys to get open. And that's a really, really great, great quality to have in a quarterback. The downside is he's a little more susceptible to, to taking big hits and, you know, he, he always pops right back up and you can't give him enough credit for that. But, you know, ho- hopefully our O-line steps up a little bit more and we'll get into the O-line. But, you know, we might have a, a perfect, you know, kind of fine-tuned machine on offense because we th- we feel pretty good about about Jerko. And, you know, like I said, this is kind of the year two jump that, that you tend to see. I mean, he was thrown into a tough position last year, played great. Um, but what's scary for the rest of the ACC is he can play a heck of a lot better. Completely, Matt. And I think the, the second piece here that, that segues nicely into the uh, wide receiver and tight end group, but it is the weapons that that uh, Jerko is going to have to play with. This is, you know, and I'll say this with the caveat that, you know, my in-depth historical knowledge of the program, like say before, you know, our generation is somewhat limited. Um, so I will give a quick plug, Matt, for the book that one of the old SIDs put out a couple years ago. I think it's called Tales from the BC Sideline. Basically, it's like a full program walkthrough. It ends at the Spaz firing and the Daz hiring with a you know paragraph basically like, all right, like we got this you know New England guy Steve Adazio in to write the ship, and you know the the uh, stories that will you know will write themselves about how good he does here to bring the Eagles back to glory. It seems like that did not come to fruition, but the rest of the book is phenomenal um, and tons of good stuff. So I, I recommend it for for every BC fan out there. Beyond that, I, again, I can't say I know every wide receiver core we've had off the top of my head, but I feel really confident saying that top to bottom, this is the best, deepest wide receiver room we've ever had on the Heights. I think you've legitimately got four guys in Zay, Kobe, Gill, and Megatron Jr., CJ Lewis, who you know would all be fighting for wide receiver one spots at a lot of schools. Um, in this case, again, on the depth chart that came out today, I think all four are listed as official starters. You have uh, CJ and, and Kobe in an in a and or position there. Um, but, you know, then you take it a step further from that. I think Zay is a legitimate Heisman threat, especially, like you said, with the benefit of, of such a deep room, you know, taking some of that attention away. And then again, hitting on that depth point, you toss in Ethan Williams and Jaylani Galloway, you know, some young guys. There's really not a weak spot in our top six. And that doesn't even mention, Matt, my breakout due to the year. Spoiler alert. I think we'll mention it later. But Jaden Williams, freshman from Texas, who is, I think, literally about to take the college football world by storm. Basically, Zay 2.0. Per every practice notes, he's good for like 15 touchdowns, you know, per scrimmage. Uh, was originally committed to be a wide receiver and point guard at Tulane. Frankly, came out of nowhere in his in his recruitment, but uh, could end up being, I, I think, you know, our, our second most productive wide receiver this year. And and you know, you and I, Matt, we're we're known around these parts for sometimes being a little bit too high on our Eagles. But I honestly, you know, in in my heart of hearts think that this could be the best wide receiver group in the entire country, especially when you combine it with uh, phenomenal QB and, and, you know, the running back room, even that's going to be able to spread the defenses out as you can talk in a minute. So, uh, I, I can't remember ever being this excited for a BC position group in my lifetime. Halfley was on Packer and Durham this morning and, and kind of casually threw out that, uh, with only one ball, there's a chance we have to throw the ball like 80 times per game in order to, you know, actually maximize the production that these guys are going to be able to generate. Yeah, I saw that too. And, and I think Halfley said, he was joking around, I think. He's like, yeah, we'll have to sling it around 75 to 80 times a game. But no, I, I think Jaden Williams, I think he's, it's, I mean, he's obviously been all over camp having, you know, four, four touchdowns per day. It seems like it's a lot like when Zay, uh, sort of jumped on the scene a couple of years back. So, um, definitely something to watch out for there. I mean, you can't teach speed. And, you know, like you were saying, historically, like, We've had a good, you know, a couple of good receivers here or there, right? Think back to Alex Amidon. Um, you think back to Bobby Swigert. Like, yeah, before Spiffy he got banged up. Yep. Spiffy Evans, uh, Thad yep. Smith. Thad Smith. Yep. 
Um, yep. Who was the four-star then, recruit that ended up transferring to UConn and then transferred back here and then recovered the onside kick against USC to clinch uh, it? I'm not going to remember the name. Oh, come on. He, uh, this is, That's a bad job by all of us. It's not Al Lewis Jean, but he's in that same kind of yeah. category. Um, but no, we've never had in Kobe, you know, obviously over the past you know few years has really carried the load. But, you know, I just pulled up the 2007 receiving core because we did have some players there. Right, We had Richie Gannell, obviously. We had Brandon Robinson. Uh, Kevin Challenger, it seems like, made a ton of, you know, really, really uh, clutch ca- catches over the years. Clarence Megua, fan favorite. Justin Jarvis. We had a bunch of guys. But they weren't elite guys like this. Those were, you know, your more typical BC recruit. And this is not a position group of strength historically for us. So, you know, the fact that, that Kobe, I think, is, is backup technically, uh, that says it all right there. Because he would start for any other ACC program. He would start for any other BC team in history. Um, and so the fact that we're this deep, it is a concern. There's only one football. I don't know. I don't mean, but, but defenses are going to be forced to, to make a decision here. We haven't talked about the tight ends yet, but there's just so many weapons on this offense that, there's going to be single coverage somewhere. So, uh, you know, looking forward to, to how Phil, you know, deconstructs defenses, how these, you can just run go routes with Zay and Jade. And I think that could be a recipe for success right there. So, uh, can't say enough good things. They're going to break some records this season. Yep. No, I completely agree. So first thing it was Shaquem Phillips. We should have known that. That's oh, a really bad man. job. I was convinced if you, if you were to talk to freshman year, Matt sitting in, uh, upper campus, I was convinced that Shaquem Phillips and Chase Reddick were going to break every single NCAA record in the history of the record books and, and bring us like multiple ACC championships did not happen, but we always have Shaquem for the USC onside recovery. Anyways, Matt, you alluded to it, but the tight end side, you know, I think, I think is, is, you know, more positivity as well. I think, you know, the first thing you look at is, is losing Hunter long. And that's, that's, you know, it's terrible. Like there's just, that's, that's a really hard guy to replace. He was an absolute monster. He's going to be, you know, have a great uh, career in front of him. But that said, we have Trey Berry transfer from Jacksonville state seemed again, like in camp, kind of the, the heir apparent and, and TE one though. There's a or on the depth chart that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, he was an FCS all American at Jacksonville state, six foot seven, huge wingspan played in just seven games last year and racked up 33 catches for five twenty four. Halfley got him over Florida State and Ole Miss this past offseason. I think this guy's going to be an absolute animal. Every report out of practice is that Jerk loves him. They're developing an unreal connection, great rapport, which is terrifying for literally every other team out there. But again, like I said on the depth chart, it was tagged as an or with Joey Jim Tan Lucchetti, who was back from an injury. Half has been super high on him throughout camp as well. So certainly trust your coaches to to make that those decisions there. But again, I think if you ask me, you know, when we lost long last year what this was going to look like coming into this offseason, I can't imagine being nearly as positive as, as what the actual picture is. So I think combining this with the receivers, Jerko's just an, an embarrassment of riches to, to target. And, you know, I think, again, hyperbole aside, it's hard to look at what our passing game could be and, and not think that Jerk can legitimately win a Heisman Trophy and we can legitimately win an ACC championship. Yeah, it's, it really is huge to get uh, to get Trey Barry from Jacksonville State. And he, by the way, chose BC over Florida State and a couple other, you know, blue blood type schools. So, you know, that says a lot about where the current program is at. Obviously, seeing Hunter Long's production, wanting to duplicate that and hopefully get to the league. He certainly has the size to do it. Um, Joey Lucchetti. You know, local kid, Lawrence Academy guy, by all accounts. I and mean, he's been flexible, too. He's, he's played D-end. He's been tight. He's been doing whatever's asked of him. He's a great blocker. So I think that's going to be a nice little tandem for us this year. And I think it's, you know, especially in the red zone, we've, we've had issues, uh, or we did last year, you know, really maximizing opportunities in the red zone. I think we had one of the worst touchdown percentages when it came to, I think it was 
25, I don't have it in front of me, 25 for 51, though, if, if I'm correct, touchdown percentage in the red zone, which just isn't going to get it done against good good opponents. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to be in a lot of close games again this year, and you really got to convert those touchdowns. Having a guy like Trey Barry along with C.J. Lewis, it's going to be really tough for the defense to decide, again, who to double, who to not double. And, uh, you know, I think – our offense as a whole is just is just going to feast. So um, can't say enough good things across the board about the type of weapons that these coaches continue to bring in and develop. And now it's just time to uh, to take advantage. Yeah, and I think that does lead us then to a group that you and I are somewhat in disagreement on. If I'm if I'm correct here, I personally disagreement. Am, I mean, it is what it is, right? I, I I'm pretty confident in what the running backs. Well, why don't you are start that? Give us this year, but I will let you. I will let you kick it off and and give us your thoughts. I mean, we objectively, and I don't want to get too negative here, but if there is a, a you know, position group you're going to be negative on, it has to be the running game. We were very bad last year. We are one of the worst rushing teams, certainly in the ACC um, and almost in the country. David Bailey, we lost David Bailey, who was our best running back. Whoever wins this, and actually it turns out Levy has, has officially won the job based on the depth chart. There's a massive well, it's opportunity. It's an R. I mean, it's an or, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. Are you sure? Matt, I think you're yeah, looking at, I think, yeah, are you sure? We'll check, we'll check in real time unless, here. Unless, I'm, unless my or – oh, you know what? I, the yeah. ors are confusing me. You're right. Yep. You're right. I think you're off yep. by one there, pal. Correct. Yep. So it technically is, is uh, Levy is how you pronounce that, an accounting major, which people forget about. So he is my guy. But objectively, this this you know this room got worse. This this room got worse than they did last year. I like the addition of Alex Sinkfield, but we don't have anyone that I really trust running it through the tackles. And I know that's somewhat by design, uh, but that's something we you know potentially may have taken advantage or, or taken for granted um, how good we were and, and how easy it was to get four or five yards a clip every single time. So in this, obviously, you know, has a lot to do with our issues and and with the O line, but. You know, I, I'll just go back to you gotta you gotta be balanced, and and if uh, we don't have any type of running game threat, then it's going to be a lot more easy for defenses to uh, you know to game plan against us. Being one dimensional is never what you want in college football, and if the, if if it allows teams to you know only send four and drop the linebackers back because the middle of the field's not really a threat, then um, you know that 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 takes the air out of our out of our passing attack a little bit. So. You know, and, and Halfley's acknowledged that, right? He's he said, "Listen, I, I know we couldn't get the run game going. It's something we got to work on, but it's easier said than done." And uh, you know, hopefully, one of these guys emerges. I really like Xavier Coleman. I think he could be an absolute stud, true freshman, but has really jumped off the. Uh, you know, ha- had a great spring game. Has really, uh, you know, been a, a standout in camp. So, you know, that's if there's one guy that's going to make a leap, it's probably him. Um, you have Garwo as well, but one of these guys really has to emerge and really take the job, in my opinion, because I don't think the running back by committee that we saw last year uh, was a recipe for success. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but they got to prove it. They got to prove that they, uh, you know, we can sustain a running game, sustain drives, and not be one dimensional. Yeah, so I'm significantly higher on this group for for a variety of reasons. So the first is your point, saying we are, you know, objectively a worse term. Of course, Bailey was great, but I think Singfield is is you know certainly ready to to take. Um, a significant role here. So I think trading Singfield in for Bailey, and again, I think Bailey, we'd, we'd agree, was probably better than what Singfield's going to give us. Um, but then you get an extra year of Levy, you know, getting stronger, whatever. And then I think the second piece of it is you got to think about how this is going to fit within the offense as a whole. If we're thinking back of the last decade of, of Boston College teams, of course, we only have great 
running games when we have great running backs because the way our offense has been built where basically we can't throw the ball is we have 15 defenders in the box pretty much. So you need to be an A.J. Dillon or an Andre Williams and you need to have you know a, a, a first-rate offensive line in order to actually have any production there. So I think in our minds, we're kind of tying the two of like, you need to be the best running back in college football in order for us to have a successful running game. And I don't think that's the case this year because of the the passing attack like we talked about. These guys are going to have some space. And you know secondly, as, as I'll talk about, momentarily, the offensive line is is going to be all the way back. Um, this is going to be a, a very strong unit. So they're going to get these guys holes. They're going to allow these guys, you know, time to, to develop. And then again, the way the defense is going to have to try to neutralize this offense is to not stack the box and to give these guys room to run. So even if the running backs themselves on a talent level, you know, dollar for dollar are not completely up to par with what we've maybe seen over the last you know, 10 years, though I think it's closer than you're than you're giving them credit for. I still think with the other pieces around them and the offensive style they're going to be in, I, I still expect huge production and, and uh, capability out of this team. So with that, let me segue into the offensive line, because I do think this is another incredibly positive area for us to be excited about this year. I think, I think the bottom line is we're back to officially being O-line you. I don't know that we really ever left that title, but for a variety of reasons, Injuries. I also think we just hold this group to a really high standard. I think it's fair to say the last year was a, a bit of a disappointment with this unit. Some of it was the scheme. I know you talked a lot about the you know zone versus man schemes or whatever your you know years of Madden coaching have, have taught you. But I, I fully expect these guys to get back to form in 2021. You've got all five starters back, including preseason All-American, also a scratch golfer, uh, Mount Zion Johnson, friend of the program, Ben Petrula. Our podcasting rival, Alec Lidstrom, all three of which will likely be playing in the NFL next year. And then you round that out with Tyler Vrabel and Christian Lay the Wood Mahogany. Again, it sounds like everyone is healthy. The the shuffling we saw last year has been reset. Again, based on the depth chart, everyone is now back to their you know comfortable positions. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, a full year of, of working in and learning the zone blocking scheme, I think, is you know going to have these guys meeting or exceeding the, the super high uh, expectations we always have up front. So you know, I think you talk about that, the depth and specifically the young depth is, is highly impressive. Redshirt freshman, uh, Ozzy Trapillo is, is just an absolute unit waiting in the wings. Jack Conley has been impressive throughout uh, camp per Halfley and then in the most highly touted and coveted recruit to, to hit the heights in some time and Drew Kendall sitting right there as well. So again, you know, unlike in years past, like we talked about, this this depth is huge, and uh, any good offense relies on a good offensive line. We need them to give Jerkovich time. We need them to allow our our running game to work, and I, I do think that these guys are primed to you know be the pyramid or the, the foundation to this pyramid, so to speak, and and really you know allow this offense to take off this year. Yeah, and to their credit, they did get better as the year went along last year. I think, and people don't realize this either, but we faced you know three of the better front sevens that we we would face all year. Uh, between Pitt, who's got those two, you know, defensive ends that were, uh, that are now playing on Sundays. Same with Duke. They had a couple, you know, great DNs. So, you know, I think they racked up a bunch of sacks early on on us and these guys maybe got down on themselves, but they did kind of pick it up in the second half of the year. And at least pass protection got a lot better. The run game still didn't necessarily open up unless we were playing against, you know, weaker D lines. Georgia Tech comes to mind. That was kind of the one game where we really excelled in the run game. But now that everyone's back to their, you know, back to the 2019 positions that they should have been in all along, and I'll never understand that coaching move, uh, whoever made that decision, and we should just forget about it, I guess. You know, hopefully being shuffled back, you still have to relearn zone blocking. And I'm not that concerned, right? I mean, they've had a full offseason now, and I think they know the ins and outs of it, but... 
I won't be fully confident in this group like I was this time last year until until they prove it, right? And is what it is. Hopefully Trey Barry and Joey Lucchetti can pick it up in the blocking game as well. I think that will help the run game. Hunter Long was more of a receiver last year, and I think we're willing to sort of do a trade-off there um, since he racked up so many targets and, and, and so much production. But if there's one unit on the offensive side that sort of has to prove it, it's it's really the run game. It's the O-line. We know that these kids have all sorts of talent. We know how many of these guys are going to get drafted next year. So hopefully the uh, the coaches are able to maximize the talent they have while they have it. Yeah, I, I again, I, I totally agree. And I, I do expect some some really good things here. And I think that we've rebuilt nicely that this will be O-line you for years to come as we expect. The... I know, again, it sounds like we've been super positive so far. I think it's only appropriate that we maybe take it down a notch. Let's flip to the other side of the ball and, and specifically the guys up front here. That's right. All right. So we've talked about the big boys on the offensive side. Tom talked about the big boys on the D-line. Um, this is probably our biggest weakness at this point. Starting with the interior, the big headline over the past couple of weeks in fall camp was was losing our guy, Big Boozy, defensive tackle, Trebuzi on Wuka. Uh, he, he tore his Achilles a couple weeks ago, so he's going to be out for the year. Just a really, really tough loss in a position where really, really couldn't afford it. So in his place, based on the depth chart that came out today, uh, we have two sophomores. Cam Horsley is one who we know was, was you know fairly productive, considering it you know he was a true freshman last year. You know made made a bunch of winning plays for us last year, so I expect him to take a you know good a good size leap. And then a guy we don't know as well, Isaiah Henderson. And he was sort of a surprise starter to me. Uh, he was he was hurt last year, didn't play at all last year, had minimum or, or minimal reps as a freshman, only played a couple games before redshirting. But I did just watch his tape this afternoon, and um, he played in a very competitive league in New Jersey, and he was just tossing O linemen around, getting to the backfield, laying some violent hit hits on the quarterback. So based on that, you know, four minute video that I watched, I'm very excited about Henderson. Think he could be a playmaker this year. Start uh, going to the DNs. That's another area where we really got to step up the production. Shida Salah won one of the defensive end jobs over Brandon Barlow, which was a bit of a bit of a surprise to me. Barlow was you know pretty productive last year. It wasn't you know didn't necessarily jump off the page, but you know made some good plays. And then on the other side, my guy, certified public sack accountant Marcus Valdez, got the OR designation alongside freshman Donovan Ezuraraku. I believe is how that's pronounced. Um, and he's another guy watching his tape. I think he could be a special player as well. And he's a true freshman as well. Um, I do think that, you know, getting some new blood on the DNs. And again, I loved our, 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 you know, existing DNs that started last year, Barlow and Valdez. But, you know, having these new DNs shows that, you know, at least there's a competition. There's some new blood. Maybe there's, you know, some talent like Sheeta living up to his, his, you know, big time rating and, and potential that we know he has. So those things are huge. And we all know defensive ends just, it's, it's the, one of the most important positions in college football. If you have a playmaker at DN and we saw it with Zach Allen and, and Harold Landry, if you have a guy like that, your entire defense changes and, and you can do a lot more things on the defensive side of the football. You can play aggressive. It leads to turnovers. You can get in that quarterback's head. And, uh, we have, we've been like lacking that in the past, you know, couple of years. So if we, if we have a guy that emerges, and hopefully, hopefully it does. It's a, it's a big task for Coach Vince, especially considering the freshmen and the underclassmen on this list. But I see the depth chart as, as some potentially exciting developments on, on, on the, on the front four there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think where they're going to, and it's similar to some of the, you know, position groups on the offensive side of the ball, but I do think the D line is going to get picked up by strengths 
within other groups on that side of the ball. Kind of similar to how we expect the receivers and line to really build up the running back room. I think we're going to see a similar dichotomy with what the secondary is going to do this year. So, you know, one of the things we, we knew we were getting in Halfley was that, you know, he's, he's an absolute wonderkind when it comes to the secondary and defense in general, but the secondary specifically. I think we saw the huge strides this unit took last year compared to 2019 with, you know, more or less the same faces. And I, you know, have all the reason in the world to expect that progression to continue into 2021. Uh, there are one or two exciting new faces that I'll, I'll get to in a second. I think, you know, for the most part, the key is just giving our guys a full year, a full spring and, and fall camp to learn under, you know, a genius in Jeff Halfley and, and Tem is right there as well. And, and it's the year of the coverage sack. We're going to need the the D backs to you know really be elite in their coverage to give this this front four you know time to get back to the quarterback. So to the extent that you know that the the D backs can make that happen, I mean everything kind of works in tandem here. That's how football works. It's a team game. But you know to the extent that they can stay with their guy a bit longer than maybe they would be asked to if we had a uh, you know some dominant players on the front four, I think that can make a real difference for uh, for this unit. Yep. That's exactly, and that's exactly right, right? It's all about building other people up and, and, and generating opportunities where, you know, I don't want to say talent, but, but maybe just the, the, the natural abilities are not there. So I do think with what we're going to see out of the secondary, it is going to, you know, make the, 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 the front four you know, natively just look better, um, and, and, and perform better and, and give them more opportunities to, to do the things that we need them to do. Um, again, just to run around, you know, the depth chart a little bit. I, I think that the secondary is still going to be led by, uh, Sebastian and DeBerry. Again, these guys look like different players last year compared to 2019. DeBerry moved over to nickel on this depth chart. I think he was a cornerback last year. I'm not a scheme guy at all, Matt. I didn't play as much Madden as you, so I don't really know what that means, but I fully trust you. I played real with... football too. All right, pal. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course. Of course. Well, I wasn't very good, but I played. <laughs> yeah, yes, you played. It's, just, it's noteworthy. Um, and then I think you've got Elijah. You do have Elijah Jones and Jason Matry on the starting spot on the depth chart as well. It sounds like Half and Tem uh, and our guys at 24-7 have been super, super, super high on Matry's potential uh, and expect some some pretty big things out of him this year. So you'll have to see that that – you know, his, his effort getting rewarded with the, with the starting role. And then you talk about the new faces in this unit. I think it, it starts with our new safety grad transfer, Jaden Lars Woodby. Came in this past offseason from Florida State, poor refreshment All-American. Sounds like just an absolute freak athlete and, and the ideal you know, anchor to that safety unit alongside Matry. So, again, you talk about coverage sacks. You talk about the athleticism that, you know, we're going to need to stick with receivers to, you know, give our guys time to, to get through. And, and, you know, we're, we're building that unit, um, you know, perfectly. And again, just, you know, last, last note on the kind of athleticism front, a new guy, potential breakout, true freshman CJ Burton. You'll remember this is the guy half flip from Florida, uh, early on in his, in his time here, just a massive recruit. According to coach AAR, he's been electric so far on the heights. Currently listed as the tight end. Uh, I'm sorry. Currently listed as the CB2 behind Elijah Jones. And I think, again, what this shows is that, you know, Halfley is not only coaching up the guys that we do have, but great players see what he's able to do at Ohio State in previous stops. And they want to come play in his secondary because they know he can teach because they recognize his genius. So not only is he coaching up what we have, but the talent is is significantly increasing in a, in a short amount of time as well. Yeah, 10 true freshmen on this depth chart. I think that's unheard of in BC. You, you can you can tell that Half really likes this class of 2021. And, and why wouldn't you? I mean, some of these guys are just cream of the crop. They're really Halfley's guys. And they're young. And I'm sure Half won't use that as, as an excuse like some other guy we know. But, uh, you know, it's a young team. But, you know, the, the, the best way to learn is, is get reps early. Matt, you touched on Jaden Woodby. That is my breakout dude this year. 
Uh, you, you, you talked about it, but one of the top recruits coming out of high school uh, was, a, was a composite four-star, according to 247. Chose Florida State over Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, a bunch of the Blue Bloods. Started as a true freshman, like you said, was a freshman All-American. He's uh, he's had some injury issues since then. We know Florida State's been a bit of a mess since then. They, I think they moved him around a couple times, but he's the perfect hybrid safety linebacker, what Ohio State calls the bullet uh, for this system for Halfley. And uh, you know, as we talk, as we'll talk about, now that the linebacker's gone, there's plenty of tackles to go around with uh, without Sax Richardson or Isaiah McStuffie. So he could be a game changer. Um, and just just across the board here, this is just. I've never seen this much talent um, in, in the backfield. And we they, it's kind of the same thing as the receivers, right? I mean, there's only so many slots where you can put these people. But I do think having depth will uh, will help keep these guys fresh and they can sort of bring it on every single play, which which is obviously huge. Yeah, exactly. And again, I'm sure there you know, are, are, are much smarter people than us could could talk for hours about how half and, and Tim are going to kind of work these schemes and, and work the athleticism into uh, this defense. But again, on face value, I think it just comes to – we know we have talent and we more importantly, or just as importantly, know we have the right people to utilize that talent. So again, certainly some, you know, areas that I think we, we would like to see improve specifically on, on the front side of the defensive ball. But overall, I am just super confident about, I think what the defense is going to show this year. And, you know, as we've seen in the past, we, we've kind of had in, in, you know, recent BC seasons, you know, really good defense and a completely anemic offense. And, you know, I think a fear coming into this year potentially is like, all right, well, what if we have the best offense ever, but our defense isn't you know, going to be up to par? And I don't see that being the case. And more importantly, I don't think this needs to be the best defense we've ever had because with the offense, I think even if we're just a middle of the road you know, defense, I think we're still going to win a lot of football games, much like when we had Don Brown here. If we just had a you know mediocre offense, we could have won the ACC that year. Which, by the way, people forget our, our defense was statistically mediocre last year, which was a huge jump right. from what we were the year right. before. Exactly. So Halfley's exactly. already made big strides, and we played a right. pretty darn tough schedule, so if he can make any type of similar improvement this year, uh, defense won't be a liability, and, and you know the offense is primed to put up some points. So um, I do just want to go back to the linebackers real quickly here, Matt. Talked about it a little bit, but we obviously lost Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson, as we've said, I think four times now. They were the number two and number four tackle leaders, respectively, in the conference last year, and were just all over the field. I know some some folks had issues with some of the angles that McDuffie took, or Richardson wasn't fast enough to catch up with ETN, things like that, but those guys were huge for us. And uh, anytime you wipe the slate clean on, on linebacker, you never, you never know what you're going to get, um, especially in this four-two-five system where whatever linebackers are in there are asked to do a lot. Um, so we have two guys that I want to talk about. One is Isaiah Graham Mobley, the other uh, transfer hyphen guy from Temple. So he's been one of Temple's most reliable tacklers over the past couple of years. Uh, Matt, get this. Remember in 2018 when we beat Temple? He, yep. uh, he had 11 tackles. He also – remember Mikey Walker fumbled the ball? On that, yeah, uh, that kickoff return, guess who was the guy that took it back to the house for Temple? I have a feeling it was Isaiah Graham Mobley. It sure was. Pretty yep. wild stat there. So he's used to making yep. big plays as an alumni. Um, he also has a nose ring, so that's just kind of an X factor. Um, anything can happen with nose ring guys. So I think that one's that that one bodes well. I think for for that. Great any, point. Com- any comments there? No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I have nothing to add there. Okay, cool. Vinny De Palma is another name to watch. Uh, big recruit out of New Jersey a few years back, and then Campanelli got him. Redshirt junior that's played well in limited duty. Uh, I think he had some injury issues last year as well, but 
you know, looking at his highlight tape, he's all over the field as well, playing against pretty good high school competition. So, you know, I like him to fill that weak linebacker spot. Um, it's a big job to fill, but I think he's up for it. Cam Arnold's the also the other uh, starter listed. Although I, I and I'm trying to figure out how this how this depth chart works because there's three linebackers, but only two of these guys are really going to start most of the time. But Cam Arnold is the strong side linebacker, and I think he'll be on the, in the game in, in obvious rushing situations. Is how Halfley typically does it. Uh, but that's another name that's that's jumped off the page lately. You know, was pretty productive last year in, in limited duty. I think he was a, a safety against Virginia and, and a couple of the other games, but he's been moved to, to linebacker, which I think is a position that makes more sense, especially given our need. Um, and I'll just say this about the front seven in general. I mean, there's a lot of question marks on this on this entire unit, but you got to remember these guys are going to get going up against the best O line in the country, which should be the best O line in the country day in and day out. So I got to imagine that there's a, a pretty quick learning curve in camp, and I expect these guys have gotten a lot better. Um, you know, given the full off season, the freshmen are going to get a quick education on how college football works against again one of the best uh, O lines in, in the country. So. Excited to see what, what, what the coaches have done with, with this group and expecting big improvement. And if it's the season we want to have, these guys got to gotta get to the quarterback, stop the run, and, and really improve on, on what we saw last year. Yeah, nothing to add there. I think that, you know, again, it's it speaks to the, the secondary is going to be the anchor of this defense. And, and hopefully these guys like the front four are able to kind of benefit from from that. I will say, Matt, I, I, I not a football note. I think there's a lot of good potential nicknames just looking in the depth chart within this group specifically. Mm-hmm. Um don't really know why you've got a couple, you've got three, you know, very Italian names. I feel like there's something we could do with that. Uh, again, the nose ring, like you mentioned, I feel like there's a way to work that in. So just something to kind of think about as this evolves over the uh, next couple of weeks. There's every single person on this depth chart, I'm pretty sure, at least defensively, is from New Jersey. I didn't mm-hmm. check this, but every single one of these guys, at least 90% That's how happily of does it. Are, it's insane how much Jersey talent we got and kept, kept out of Rutgers' backyard, by the way. So that's always great. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And again, I think that our view on this team and we'll get into it in more detail momentarily when we're when we're put on trial here but I think we're feeling very positive and very confident about about what we have in front of us and I think it would be fair Matt for us to put that confidence on trial in the courtroom if that's uh, if that's all right with you all right well I think that covers the position groups uh we're skipping special teams it's the same as last year um we'll see what happens with that unit obviously our guy Boomer is uh, is back so is Grant Carlson I think the return game will be electric this year with with Levy and Sinkfield and Flowers and all those guys back so uh, with that let's head we'll do a special edition Halfleas Corpus and you guys know what that is. We're heading into the courtroom. We're going to put a couple teams on trial for being frauds or for real. And then we're going to talk about whether you should take the over or under of BC over seven wins. So with that, Matt, let's enter the courtroom. All right. Court is now in session. Matt, I think we have the same one that we're putting on for fraud. We want to just get this case kind of closed so we can get on to other things. I think that's probably how they do it in the in the law world. They take their easy cases and just knock them out early in the morning to feel productive. Let's just get this over with. Fraud, again, for the 15th, 100th year in a row, the NC State Wolfpack. Matt, they were getting a single first place vote in the ACC uh, in the ACC championship poll. Like, how are we still doing this in this year? Like, they're 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 a bad team. Period. Let alone when you've Clemson on the other side uh, of of the poll. I think there are a lot of teams in our division who you know, would be worthy of a first place vote. But how are we still giving this to NC State in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one? This is Matt. This is Syracuse twenty nineteen volume two. 
It's literally the same exact fact pattern. You guys remember, you know, they had a legitimate good year. Dungy somehow carried the team to, to 10 victories. And then everyone assumed that this new quarterback would come in and it'd be a 10 win team for the rest of the time. That didn't happen. I think they went three and nine, if that. NC State went eight and three last year with the softest schedule, I think, in ACC history. They somehow avoided Clemson, Notre Dame. They avoided us. They beat zero good teams. The uh, combined win-loss record of opponents where NC State uh, beat them was 19-44. and 44. Their quarterback, Devin Leary, played four average games um, against some of the worst defenses in the ACC. Everyone's ready to call him a great quarterback. Um, you'll remember, was it 2019 where we beat them by 50? Mm-hmm. Den- Devin Leary was the quarterback then when, when Denny absolutely took him to the woodshed. So um, this team does not scare me whatsoever. I'm so glad we get to play them this year. We missed them last year. But but this is my bold prediction. Mark my words on this, Matt. NC State will be battling out with Syracuse for last place this year. Guaranteed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very fair. And Syracuse, you know, if we're going to talk about them in the courtroom, I don't even think it's fair to call them a fraud because I think that you know, everyone is kind of a, a aware of what they are, but I do just want to note how terrible they're going to be this year. And it just, again, to your point about NC State, college football media is just like just a dumb collection of people. Four years ago, the entire college football world was anointing Dino Babers as like the next Vince Lombardi. They're doing the same with Dave Doran now. You know, they were high on Daz that year as well. So they, they got that one a little bit wrong as, as well. But I think they're going to be so bad. I think NC State's going to be so bad. And I would say that out of those two, I would strongly expect to not see both of them back, uh, head coaches, that is, uh, both of them back next year. Probably say Dino is less likely to survive, but uh, you would argue that NC State has probably a, a more demanding fan base. So the fact that Dave Dorn has gotten away with murder for this long is um, also pretty criminal I think as well. He just, if I'm correct on this, I think he just signed a big deal. He, so that might be he, stuck he did, with him. Which, he did, which makes no sense. But again, it's at that point, as your deal gets bigger, then your your you know fan base reaction gets a little uh, more demanding as well. And obviously there's some you know contractual monies that, that matter there. But I think if the fans get loud enough and the donors come in, uh, enough is to just be like, hey, this guy's actually not a good coach and stop paying him you know a massive salary. And we're usually right on these. Like, I, I don't want to mm-hmm. toot my own horn, but like usually we see these coming. And, and I'm just seeing I'm seeing NC State. The hype has gone out of control. They were they sucked so bad last year, and they somehow got to what I say eight and three. But like yeah. every single game, they they really I mean they barely beat Wake. Every single game they played, like they didn't beat anyone good. I, I'll stop talking because it's just going to make me mad. One team I do want to touch on is Louisville. I do think that everyone's discounting Louisville this year. They had a really bad season last year. They went four and seven, but they really underachieved. And you look at every single advanced statistic, they should have been at least seven and four, if not better. They had one of the worst turnover margins uh, in the country at minus 12, which is unfathomable. We saw firsthand that, you know, despite getting out of there with a, with a win, they completely outplayed us. They, they, you know, they beat us in every single statistic. But we won the turnover battle by three or four, and and that won us the game, plus Denny saving the day, as we all remember. They still have Malik Cunningham. I think it's Malik and not uh, McColl. Is that what it was last? I don't know. It's hard to keep track. Um, They do have a ton of returners on the offensive line. The D has been much improved, which people don't realize. And they did lose a couple skill guys, like uh, notably Tutu Atwell, which here's a here's kind of a hot take. It's kind of unprofessional because I'm making this up. Not, Not great journalism here. But I think that Tutu Atwell was probably a cancer in that locker room, strictly based on when he called our defense a bunch of slow people a couple of years ago. Yep. So I think it's, it's actually a good thing. It's it's addition by subtraction, and they're going to be a lot better. They, they also, I'll mention this too, they have some sophomore named Tyler Harrell 
Matt, that ran a 4-1-9-40 in practice a couple months ago. So I'm just kind of reading out some facts here. I really like – I think Satterfield's a really good coach. He had a bad year. He had a bad offseason too. He was flirting with South Carolina a little bit for that job. But I do think they have a ton of – they just, you know, reload on, on when it comes to the skill positions. Cunningham can run. You know, that's a concern for, for BC and a bunch of other ACC Atlantic defenses. So uh, here's my hot take on the other side. I think Louisville could be a top three team in the Atlantic this season. Okay. Yeah, I, I strongly agree with your 2-2 Atwell approach, and I think that is good journalism. Sometimes you got to, you know, make a stand and then defend it after, and I think that everything that you said there makes a lot of sense. No strong thoughts for me throughout the rest of the uh, Atlantic. Going to the Coastal, though, quickly, and I'm not sure if I'm really putting these people in, in quite of the frauds or, or for reals, but... Uh, one thing just worth noting, six out of the seven teams re- received a first place vote in the division poll, which is just insane. Is that so ever, it's basically, Duke? Yeah, exactly. So it's just pretty much no one has any idea what's going to shake out. So my if I have to pick one for real, I actually think Vatek's going to be going to be pretty solid. Um, again, they they took it to us pretty handedly last year. And and I think they're they're only you know getting better. They're not really losing anything too major. Yeah, well, they lost my very tertiary research. <laughs> The O-line's back, and they have one of the best O-lines. They still have a bunch of really good receivers. Like, Trey Turner somehow still has eligibility. He's been there for 10 years, it seems like. They do – Hendon Hooker uh, is is gone now, but they do have this other – you know, guy that that's uh, Braxton Burmeester, I think is his name, and he's a he's a threat on the ground. So, um, if we don't figure out what went wrong last year, I totally agree with you, Matt. I think they could be a a, a team that comes out of the coastal this year, and we'll see on uh, is it Thursday or Friday. And they have a showdown in Lane Stadium against UNC, who's everyone's predicting to be one of the, the top teams this year. So we're going to learn a lot on Friday night. Yeah, that's my other fraud argument almost. I'm, I'm, and again, I don't want to say full fraud, but I'm just not as sold on UNC as others are. I think people are, are legitimately penning them as a, as a serious CFP threat. And I just don't see it. Howell is very good. Like, let's be clear, he's a very good quarterback. But by no means did he destroy us last year. And, and again, it was a mediocre defense, really, that, that kept him pretty in check. And outside of him, I just wasn't really floored with anything we saw. So, I mean, full disclosure, I'm an idiot and I've done no research on this. I'm kind of just going off the eye test last year. But there was nothing I saw in those 60 minutes that that told me that these guys are going to, you know, compete with the likes of Clemson, Alabama and Georgia for a spot in the uh, in the final four this year. Yeah. And they lost a ton as well. They lost those that double headed rushing attack. Both guys are in the pros now. Um, they lost their three. I think four of their top five receivers are now gone. Um, and everyone just kind of thinks that they're just going to you know, duplicate what they did last season. But um, I don't know if I necessarily see that. I, I don't think they have a great O-line. Their defense was an absolute sieve against most of, the, most of the folks they played. They somehow lost to Florida State last year, which no one talks about. So uh, I, I agree. I, I think we're on the same page, which is rare. But I think we're on the exact same page yep. as far as you know a quick preview around some of the, uh, the top teams of the ACC. Completely. And I think then this leads us nicely into our, our marquee trial, unless you have anything else that you want to touch on. But the the marquee trial, which is you know basically kind of a fraud or for real for for BC, and I think spoiler alert, we know what side we're going to fall on. But basically, I think the question would be, if I was framing this, is you know, are you an idiot if you don't take the over? Would be my would be the way I want to frame it for for seven wins. And I think that my initial argument is that everyone who says not the over, so everyone who says the under is guilty of being an absolute moron and knows nothing about college football. But we can certainly get into why we feel so strongly there. No, I, th- I think that's I think that's exactly right. I think, and, and people forget the line started at six and a half, and I wish I had gotten it at six and a half. I mean, that's just insane. 
when you think about our, our non-conference schedule, I mean, and I don't want to overlook these guys because this never goes according to plan. I said it when we when we played, uh, you know, Richmond, Kansas, and, and Rutgers back-to-back. I said these three games are not going to go as planned. And guess what, Matt? They didn't. We lost to Kansas. Yep. We almost lost to Rutgers, which we were okay with. But these cupcake games, I know it's a different era, but these never go – to win four or three straight games, I don't care how, how much you're favored by – Granted, I'm less concerned about uh, uh, Colgate and UMass, but Temple, you never know, right? I mean, everyone's dumping on them as an automatic win, but that's that's a team to be reckoned with. But with all that said, we do have a weak non-conference. The ACC, I think, has a, a relatively strong, you know, sort of middle class. But between Syracuse, I'll throw NC State in that bucket just because. Georgia Tech is on the other side. They, I think we, we throttled them last year, right? So they don't present... You know, a big concern to me. There's so many likely wins and so many toss-ups that if you just do the math, it's it's really hard to get under seven, in my opinion. Right. Right. And and I think you, you talk again about the toss-ups. So it's like a, almost a pro and a con that BC is, is, is you know getting some respect. Top 25 votes. They were ranked third in the ACC preseason poll. A lot of national media types calling them sleeper of the year. Personally, I'd probably rather sneak up on people, but this might make the buildup a little bit more exciting. But the point being is that, you know, with that and with the hype that we already have, like, you know, it's we do view these games as toss ups. If we're even marginally better, and and I think that you know, clearly we expect them to be even marginally better than that kind of sleeper uh, style, then this is an absolute route. You know, we we've touched on this a bunch at this point, but I, I really do think this team is going to be absolutely incredibly good. Not to hyperbolize again, I, I legitimately think, and this is like completely serious, that we can win the ACC and I think we can knock on the door of the playoff. I think that's honestly our ceiling. It's one of the best offenses, most complete and, and most deep offenses that we've ever had. The defense does have a couple question marks, but again, with the, the secondary being as rock solid as it is, it can anchor that side of the ball. And, and the schedule, to your point, is is very manageable. If you look at the numbers of it, you know, even according to FPI, which I do feel like always downplays us, uh, that's like the ESPN, uh, you know, algorithmic metric or whatever. So we're favored in the first four with Mizzou being the main test. Again, totally agree with your point of those are four games that in and of itself, I do think we should win all four, but you don't ever know until you play. Not at all concerned with the first two in UMass and Colgate, but the other two, you know, whatever. I hate that we have to go back to Death Valley for the 14th year in a row. That game should be at home. I understand why it happens, but like this is the first thing I just want to touch on is not having a 4-0 top 15 host Dabo on a Saturday in what late or late September or early October is like absolutely criminal. And, you know, the downside of that is that they'll see us coming, Clemson will. Um, it's a game that last year we should have won. Half is is still, you know, frustrated about it. He said that openly in interviews. So we won't be sneaking up on them this year. But the upside, Matt, is that, you know, they're they're a big unknown. You know, we saw DJU last year and he, he looked great. But, you know, you just you don't know, right? We saw him in one game. Lawrence is gone. It's a new team. Obviously, they're stacked, but I think we are too. So I'm just saying you never know. And, again, we don't have to go through kind of game by game. But that's the obvious, you know, big thing in the way of us actually, you know, having a, a really good year versus, you know, a, a, an all-time historically great year. Um, but outside of that, I think you just got to feel really good about the rest of the slate. You got, you know, the, the toss-up games are at home. Again, at Louisville is is probably the the second to, to toughest one there. But at Cuse is going to be easy. At Georgia Tech should be easy. Virginia Tech, again, a little tough. But, you know, then you got FSU coming up here in November. They probably won't even show up in the cold. I think it's just like, I think in in, in all seriousness, and this is, again, 
no hyperbole. I do think 12 and 0 is a legitimate possibility. And I, I'll say, honestly, I'll be disappointed if it's anything less than 10 and 2. I, I think we're that good. And I think the schedule is that favorable in, in both the teams we play and the way that it's, that's laid out. So I think over seven is, is completely, completely, completely free money. And I do think that you're a complete and utter idiot if you are taking the under on it is ultimately I'm saying guilty, guilty is charged on, uh, on that side of things. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Matt. I, I think that, and going back to Clemson, I, I agree they're as beatable as they've been. You also remember, I mean, not only did Halfley play them close, but our buddies over at Ohio State sort of figured out the blueprint and the number of times that Justin Fields sort of lulled the defense to sleep and then just threw a bomb uh, to their you know really good receivers. People forget we can duplicate that same game plan. We have, we have the weapons that we need in order to do that, assuming our, our running game figures it out. But we have the O-line. We have you know deep threats. There, there's a there's a world out there we can beat Clemson, and I think people believe it this year because again we hung with them last year. We should have beat. We should have won that game. Um, if Jerk stayed in, who knows? If Jerk was you know fully healthy, who knows? If we had a run game, we guarantee we win that game. I'll say that till you know till uh, you know blue in the face. I'm with you on ten and two is my official prediction, and I think I do think we'll lose one non-conference. I just think that again the first four games. I think Missouri is Missouri's going to be tough. Missouri's not going to be a walk a walk yeah. by any means. They're going to be. I don't know. I'll just I'll say well, we're going to lose one non-conference, probably Missouri, and then I'll say we lose one of Clemson or Louisville. Louisville on the road. I, I think I'm, I'm I'm a little scared of that game. Again, I think they're a lot better than their record showed last year. But that's how you get to ten and two. My concern is that the middle class is of Wake and Florida State, um, and those teams are, are and NC State even are, are fairly strong. So it, it is hard to you know, sustain, you know, good play throughout all those games when any of those guys can beat you, especially there's a ton of mobile quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's something we figured out in the offseason as well. But those killed us last year. So without going too far into the schedule preview, I think we're both at 10 and 2. We think it's doable. I might be I might be at, I might be at 11 and 1, to be completely honest. Who's with you. the loss to? I, I, I don't even want to pin it on anybody. I mean, Clemson's the easy pick, but I, I think that it would almost make more sense to drop one again, whether it's a Louisville or otherwise. What I'll say is that I do think after the first four games, we'll have a really, really good grasp on what this team is capable of. And really, I, I guess I'm more referring to just, I think, the Missouri game because what are we really going to be able to tell out of the first two weeks? That's really the season. We beat we beat Missouri. We're we're 4-0. Well, I mean, that, that, that Saturday is going to be insane. Can't I, wait I think we're just going to know. I think, I think we're just going to really know, again, because they're not a bad team by any means. So it's, you know, are, are we kind of just on par with them and it's, a, you know, kind of a slugfest and maybe we eke it out at the end or we just, you know, barely fall? Or are we head and shoulders better than them and we win it running away and it's comfortable the way that I, I think that we both think that we can. And at that point, we're going to know that we have something very, very special on our hands before we head down south uh, the following week. So the good news is we'll get some results soon. But yeah, I just can't wait to can't wait to get going here. 100%. All right. With that, court is officially adjourned. Uh, and let's talk the Colgate Raiders coming to town on Saturday. Yeah. So I, I think I want to keep this you know pretty quick, right? Because I know we're already running long and I don't know how much uh, you're able to talk about Colgate on the football field. I personally can contribute nothing to this conversation. There's a lot than, of drama off the field when it comes to Colgate, so we can keep yeah. the uh, the football talk to a minimum. But I do want to touch on a couple of things related to the program uh, itself. Yeah. But as we all know, and this is everyone's favorite segment, I wish we could invent a time machine and just do this all over again for all the teams. Maybe we can. I mean, it's been four years since we did it for the ACC. I think Atlantic. we can. Re- I think we can recycle. Maybe we can do yeah. that. The top five alum plus six man. Uh, so Matt, do you, no, I want to kick it off actually. So as you guys know, it's self-explanatory. Yeah, you We're can't just go make over. the rules. You can't uh, just, just make did, the rules. I just, I got a really good oh, one. We should though. flip a coin or something. I know, I know what it's going to be, but okay. <laughs> um, why don't you go first? Go for it, Matt. 
Well, I'm going to, this is maybe a little bit outside of the rules here. So I think you're going to be unhappy with, with, with this, but I want to make a joint pick. It's going to be a single slot on the roster, but it's like three or four different people. Uh, I'm going to do it and then you can, we can bring it into the courtroom next time if we have to. Uh, but I'm going to go overall with the comedy troupe Broken Lizard. Oh. So the main guy, if I have to put this on a single name, will be Jay Trandishikar. I definitely did not pronounce that right at all. Uh, but these again are the guys behind Super Troopers and Beer Fest and Super Troopers 2. Um, and then they just pop up in a bunch of other stuff as well. So like the four main guys, pretty much the four guys who are Team USA and Beer Fest are all Colgate guys, which I was not aware of. So that's uh, my first overall pick is kind of the collection of, of comedy from them. And again, is that the number one alumni that they have across the board? Probably not. But I did that. That was a strategic pick because I knew they'd be high on your list as well. That was my two and three. So I was I was I took a gamble there. It did not work yeah. out. Um, I'm going to go Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury, obviously, you guys all know him. He's a current analyst, I think, on NBC. Um, was a great player. Uh, I don't for think Col- I don't think cur- I don't think current anymore. I think he's been let go. Also, he's been, with the he's moving, had, he's yeah. had so many issues that, like, yeah, it's probably about time. And, and I don't know how serious many, but he's just he's in the news once a year for saying the wrong yep. stuff. Um, all right, so former analyst uh, per Matt. He's best known for going into the stands back in the 70s as a Bruin. Um, beat, he beat a fan over the head with his own shoe. Uh, there's, a, there's some videos of, of that going around. And then number two, people don't realize this. He was the BC hockey coach for three months in 1994, directly yep. before a Mr. Jeremiah York uh, took over the program for good there. So that's Millbury. That's my number two hole. And then in the three hole, Matt, I'm going, I'm going Joe Castiglione. He is the voice of the Red Sox, has been for the past 40 years. Just a ton of iconic calls, including the, the last out of the 2004 World Series. Um, and just, you know, from one former play-by-play guy to another, just heck of a voice. One of the all-time best voices out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great pick. I, I obviously had Joe on my list as well. Listened to him a hundred times growing up. One of the, just the iconic voices, I think, that you can kind of recognize it from anywhere. What I will say, Matt, is, is he is almost as bad as I am when it comes to judging fly balls by their distance. Uh, anyone who's ever been to a baseball game with me knows that I get you know, very excited for what is a, 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 a routine pop fly to the point that even sometimes a shortstop catches it. Depending on where I'm sitting in the stadium, I am ni- I'm convinced that 99% of, of batted balls are are a home run. And I think Joe Castiglione uh, suffers the same fate as I do. We've heard many times when he, you know, does the high pitch, you know, it's way, way back and it ends up being a, a shallow fly ball uh, south of the warning track. So that's my only note on Joe Castiglione there. Matt, for my next two picks... I'm going to go with someone who didn't graduate, so I'm kind of breaking the rules a couple of times here. But Ben, that's the one rule. Yeah, from Ben, from Ben and Jerry went to Colgate for a, for a cup of coffee. Wow. Okay, um, I'll, I'll allow that. Thank you. It's a good one. And we're ice cream guys. Everyone knows this. And then with the final pick, you got to go with Bill Parcells, one of the great football minds of all time, and is a Colgate Raider. So it's kind of him and Coach Tem doing the diligence of of just kind of these great football minds that are that are coming out of uh where is it hamilton new york does that sound right uh yeah i think that that's not, i didn't realize are you sure about that i'm just fact checking here i didn't see bill parcells on my list look so, i saw him on the, i saw him on the list yeah it looks like he went to wichita state actually so, uh yeah wait sure hang what on happened there, but, Matt. now he transferred all right so he did start there okay so all right. I'll, again i'll give it to you but that's I mean that's kind of that's two people that didn't graduate. So right, fair. Um, that's fair. But that's all right. That's all right. Good try. Thank you. I've got a couple honorable mentions. If you, in the, well, hold on. I, it's there's a six man. I got I got to go six man here. I think you already did your six. Oh no, you I didn't. Did okay, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. It's the first time in a while. Although I don't have you took all my good ones here, which is really just the beer fest guys. Um, I'm gonna go a Donald Foyle. He's uh, Colgate's all time leading rebounder. 
he led them to a couple of NCAA, tar- their first two NCAA attorneys ever in program history. Uh, was a lottery pick back in the 97 draft. Um, and I think it's notable because he, he was on that, remember in 07, the, uh, that eight seed Golden State Warriors team before the, before they were the Golden State Warriors. The, they upset the, the one seed Mavericks. And it was just one of the most entertaining NBA playoff series ever. He didn't really play. Uh, but that team, I think they had like Baron Davis, they had Josh Richardson, Andrews Biedrins, guys like that. Um, when the, the good old days of the NBA there. So he's my sixth man. That's a, that's a great pick, Matt. I've got two honorable mentions. Uh, one, everyone knows I'm a big 60 minutes guy. Andy Rooney, rest in peace. Yeah, he's the guy who ended all the 60 minutes with like his one minute little, uh, you know, they're just going to kind of let him ramble, especially got into his older years. So, uh, great pick there. And then, Matt, again, you know I'm a big space guy, big astronaut guy. They don't have any astronauts that have went to Colgate as far as my research shows, but they do have a former director of NASA, which I feel like is the next best thing. So once again, in terms of the space race, BC just continues to come in dead last amongst all of our opponents, which which you hate to see. Especially a small school at Colgate. You really do hate to see that. We should not lose to them. Absolutely not. A couple quick honorable mentions for me. You mentioned it, Tim Lukabu. I didn't want to throw him in here because he's our guy, and I didn't want to blur the lines there, but obviously he was one of their all-time great football players, so he is a notable alum. Excited to see what he's going to do as our D coordinator. I got uh, the, the actor from Wolf of Wall Street. There's two FBI agents, Matt, that go on Leonardo DiCaprio's boat. Okay. Uh, one's Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Yep. The other guy, who I didn't write down his name, he's a Colgate guy. Does he have a line? I would have thought that was just like an extra, like someone like no, one No, he's just kind of like a yeah. bodyguard type guy. Okay. Um, and then my middle school basketball coach uh, oh. not only went to Colgate, but, but played defensive back at Colgate back in the 80s. Okay, that is notable. Thanks for sharing yeah. that one. Um, Matt, yeah, I have a quick, quick, quick fun fact about Colgate before we get into uh, – whatever football you do want to talk about or, or scandal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Colgate, Matt, invented spring break. In 1936, the Colgate swim team made its first trip to Fort, Lauder- Fort Lauderdale for spring break training at the casino pool. This then became a regular tradition for the team that caught on throughout campus and ultimately caught on with other schools across the country and proved to be the genesis of the college spring break trip. So I think we all have Colgate to uh, thank for that. That's a big one. That's actually interesting. I would have thought it would have been – Cause it's kind of like a nerd school. It's a good school academically, right? I it's think. a little. Kind of like it's a, a little Ivy. They call themselves. It's yeah. It's yeah. like exactly. So I would have thought it would have been. I don't know a big factory school. I guess. Yeah, but back so then, in like the but, '30s, it was like you know, like JFK probably partied a lot, and he went to Harvard. <laughs> That's true. So That's true. All right, let's get into uh, tailgate ability real quick, and then we'll get to the football finally, which is the reason y'all are here. So I will kick it off. Obviously, it's the home opener. Um, you have fall weather that Matt will get into. The biggest thing, it's just, it's been two years now. It's been the two year wait since fans have been allowed in the building. It's been all this anticipation to, to get a first hand look at, at Coach Half. So I think we'll get a decent turnout. Um, I'm going to go 22.7 Bud Lights. Unfortunately, Matt and I can't be there. We'll be in New York City for a wedding. So uh, we're going to find a game watch bar. Matt's going to take care of that as the New York guy. Um, so we'll let you guys know where we're at. We'll be the overdressed guys uh, in the suits. So, again, won't be tailgating on this one, but hope, hope to make it up to Brighton uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, quick quick note on that. So just I want to give a big big shout-out, Matt, to two of our closest friends from 2013 getting getting married next next Saturday. So, you know, I think credit to them. They had the foresight to schedule this as a 3 p.m. wedding. You know, they they, they knew that BC was going to be kicking off at noon. They just kind of had that feeling. That's how you do a against fall wedding. Against the layup opponent. Against yes. the layup opponent, That's too. how you do, an that's how you fall do a wedding. fall wedding. That's how you do a fall yep. wedding. So, again, we're not going to be at the usual BC Game Watch Bar. Shout-out Tipsy Nomad, 28th and Park. It's like a few blocks from the rest in peace. 
Rest in peace, Dewey, rest which was news to me. Rest I in took peace, that Dewey's. really hard. Yeah, when rest I in peace, Dewey's. They, they did not survive COVID. But Tipsy Nomad did a great job filling in last year. They are literally a stone's throw from the 4th and Dude New York studio. Uh, and they're the official Game Watch bar of NYC alone. So I'm sure we'll be there plenty of Saturdays. But yeah, this time we'll be uh, up near a, uh, a Jesuit church up on the Upper East Side. Uh, watching BC get started with the W. So we'll not be there in person. But Matt, from a weather perspective, as you mentioned, again, obviously right now the story in the country is Hurricane Ida, which, you know, our thoughts and prayers with with the good folks in New Orleans and, and the rest of the Gulf Coast who are just absolutely getting destroyed right now. It will be making its way up to the East Coast. Uh, New York City is supposed to get, I think, between four to seven inches of rain on Wednesday and Thursday, which is an absolute soaking for those of you who don't know. It's going to hit Boston significantly on Thursday, but by Friday morning and afternoon, it's out of the weekend and it's going to be a gorgeous you know, evening on Friday night for anyone getting into town early. And then Saturday is just an absolute A1 Labor Day football weather weekend. Uh, tailgate starting at 9 a.m., 65 degrees. Kickoff at noon, we have 71 degrees, sunny throughout the day, high of 76, you know, which will happen right around uh, the end of the fourth quarter. Great post gate, uh, great post tailgate weather as well. Cannot say enough good things. Would love to be there in person back and, and feel that energy. And, and you know, half of the boys deserve a, a big and energetic crowd. The students who, you know, missed last year deserve a big and energetic crowd and to be a part of that. So uh, to be a part of kind of this big welcome back party, I, I would go probably about 25.2, which is a super high number for, for an FCS game. But man, it's just good to, it's good to be back. And I can't wait for our, our return trip to alumni soon. 100%. All right. With all that. Let's get to football. So a lot of people, and to some degree, rightfully so, are just sort of writing this one off as just a layup win, right? People don't realize, potentially, though, that Colgate's actually been kind of decent over the past decade. They're obviously in the Patriot League. They're an FCS school. But they've won the Patriot League, Matt, 10 times in the last 25 years, including most recently in 2018, where they put up a 10-2 record, advanced to the FCS quarterfinals. They fell to the eventual champ, North Dakota State. But historically, in recent history, this is not a bad football program. With that said, they've fallen off since then. They've gone 4-8. They went 4-8 in 2019. They went 0-2 this past spring, including, a get this, a 32-point loss to Fordham, in which, Matt, they turned the ball over seven times. Not good. A, that's a big number. It's tough to win. It's tough to win with seven turnovers. It sure is. The offseason storyline that, uh, that, that popped up in the past few months, though, is head coach Dan Hunt. He was forced to step down a couple months ago for some it was some cryptic violation described as not involving a student. And that's all I know about it. No, none of the message boards seem to have any other additional detail, but doesn't sound good. Um, so, you know, he had a great record for them, but was obviously forced to resign. They have installed longtime assistant Stan Dukowski, um as the interim coach. Uh, so that's a storyline to watch. Obviously, the uh, you know, the, with the rough showing last year and then the year before not playing great either. This team's a little bit down on its luck. They have a quarterback named Grant Brenneman who struggled last year. He had zero touchdowns and five interceptions in the two games they played, uh, which again was, was, you know, last spring. He's also their leading rusher, so they don't seem to have much of a rushing attack. And I'll say this. He's not related that I could tell to Albert Brenneman, the protagonist okay. in Hitch, which is obviously played by Kevin James. Yep. So that's kind of my initial analysis of, of, uh, of Colgate. 
Okay. No, I mean, I think you, I think you hit everything there that you possibly could have touched on. Tom Brenneman is also then the announcer who is the deep drive to Castellanos, which is an all time mm-hmm. great sports moment in the last couple of years. I don't know if there's any relation there either. Either way, again, Matt, I don't think I can add anything on the football front. I think he did an excellent job of, of covering everything there. I'm going to get right into my final score prediction. I don't think we need to waste any more time here. Now you did no research on Colgate, it seems. That's is exactly right. I, I looked into the okay. alumni. I looked into the spring break fact. And I think that was all I had. There might have been one other one other thing. Oh, I looked at the weather, which is more of a BC thing than a Colgate mm-hmm. thing. Anyways, let's just get right into it. Uh, this is an FCS game. This is Halfley and the boys. It's a new era. Well, it's a continuation of a new era. Um, they're going to come out firing. They're going to be fired up by, you know, actually having some people in attendance, even if the, it's only around, you know, 25K, um, still better than zero. And, and our cutouts will be sorely missed, though. I do want to note that. But beyond that, I don't see any problems with with this team. I think it's just going to be all about kind of getting out healthy, making sure we're not suffering any major injuries, doing anything stupid. So why not just go BC 56, Colgate 0, call it a Saturday. Wow. Okay. That's a heck of a score. Uh, I have a similar one uh, as, as these games tend to go. They're, they're fairly predictable. The spread is 50 and a half. The over-under is 52 and a half, which I believe implies a score of what, that 50 to two and a half? 50, 51 to one, I guess. 51 and a half to one and a half. Oh, did I mess that up? You said 50. Well, you said 50. The spread is 50. The spread's 50 and a half. The over-under is 52 and a half. Yeah, so you so got to do. Implies a score of 50 you got to do. It, so Y, X is no, that's their wrong. score. Y is X plus 50.5. X plus Y equals 52.5. So yeah, it would be fifty one and a half to one. No, fifty one point two five to one point two five. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. Or fifty and a so, half. Whatever. We're, we're on the right. Fifty one and a half to one. Fifty one and a half to one. There you go. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm probably not going to touch this game. I, I say that now, but you might as well to throw throw it in for the boys, right? Might as well opening day. Yeah, you got it. I'm going to go forty six. Uh, before I do my score, is my the rest of my analysis. I do think half is a little too nice to run the score up that badly. And I, I honestly don't know anything about their defense, but I will reiterate they gave up 40 points to Fordham. So obviously having Zay and Jerk in that line, it'd be really hard for this team to not score a bunch of points. Um, on the other side of the ball, I mentioned the quarterback. He's a mobile, mobile quarterback. We haven't figured out how to stop that to date. Um, so my official score is 46 to 9. So that would actually... Given that math, under Colgate would over, cover over and we would Colgate, go over Colgate in the over. So yeah, I'm not I'm not touching this game. Okay, um, but I you know the key here is obviously stay healthy, get the starters out of the game as soon as humanly possible, get the uh, get the freshmen some some reps and hit someone that you know it doesn't play for our team and uh, we're on to Zoom ass. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think uh, I think nothing but positive vibes here. Like we said, we we can't be more confident. Uh, and, and more excited about this team as, as 2021 officially kicks off. Thanks again for listening. It, it feels so good to have college football back in our lives. I hope you're all as excited as we are, and I hope you're all excited about uh, this Eagles team as we are. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 4th and Dude. We'll have a lot of content as the countdown to kickoff ticks down. Matt and I will be together in, in New York City this weekend as discussed. So, And then as, as always, subscribe and follow our, our good friends at Eagle Insider 247. Matt, really not much more I can add here. This team is, is going to be really good. And uh, we'll try to uh, you know spice up the next couple of weeks. Obviously, we have a kind of a week schedule uh, the next couple of weeks between you. Not that we're overlooking anyone. And if, if you're a current player, we're not looking. We're not overlooking Thanks anyone. Everyone's man. a tough Thanks opponent. Uh, yeah, definitely. And let, let us know about the NIL. <laughs> we won't pay you a lot, but so we'll, we'll try to do some segments either with you know bring back Sean, our guy Sean Sylvia, maybe Tyler from twenty four seven have him on. We'll figure out ways to kind of uh, make this entertaining the next few weeks before we get into the meat of the schedule. 
schedule. But, you know, like Matt said, thanks for listening. It's going to be a fun ride. Get in, folks.